I wouldn't want anybody that's listening to this podcast to ever, ever feel like Mike said they can't have a bad day. Right. Absolutely have a bad day, but don't let it turn into a bad month, a bad year, because then you hang your head, you think you're no good, you think you don't matter, you're awesome. Whoever's listening to this, you're awesome. Welcome to the podcast that teaches you how to transform your life and your business. Here is your host, Rick Hyland, and this is CI for Life. Welcome to another CI for Life podcast. I am Rick Hyland with RLG International. On today's podcast, you're going to hear from one of my heroes and friends, Mike Shalapi. He is my, has been my neighbor for the last 20 years. Mike was shot when he was a teenager. He's also a four-time Olympic medalist and has accomplished so much since his personal crisis. Mike will share with you in his story about how to respond when you're in crises. You will come away motivated to work on your own situation during our worldwide pandemic. You will have a better attitude and be motivated to work on your goals. Jack Canfield in his book, The Success Principles, by the way, that's a high recommend. I just finished it. Really, really liked it. Has, has as principle number one, take 100% responsibility for your life. Canfield goes on to say, one of the most pervasive myths in American culture today, and I would say world culture, is that we are entitled to a great life, that somehow, somewhere, someone is responsible for filling our lives with continual happiness, exciting career options, nurturing family time, and blissful personal relationships simply because we exist. But the real truth and the one the whole book is based on, is that there is only one person responsible for the quality of your life. That person is you." Unquote. The key point here from a change management and self-improvement perspective is take responsibility for change. From Mike's story, you're going to be motivated to take more responsibility in your life in the middle of this crisis that we all didn't ask for. If you blame something or somebody for your situation, it might make you feel good in the moment, but it completely disempowers you to change. If you accept full responsibility for your situation, it creates a need or a desire to change and to use your skills, abilities, and motivations to change and improve your situation. And Mike Shalapi embodies that message and he'll come up next. So as promised, I have my good friend and longtime neighbor, Mike Shalapi on the podcast today. Mike, how are you today? I am wonderful, Rick, and thank you for allowing me to join your pod- podcast. Oh, this is a thrill for me, and I've been meaning to do this for a long time. And Mike is, uh, as I've mentioned, a longtime neighbor, and I've been able to uh, see him in, in real life and see what kind of a happy, productive person he is despite his accident and the personal crisis he's had. So, Mike, we are talking about this podcast is all about how to respond to a personal crisis, and I couldn't think of a better person to get on during this time when we're all in the middle of a bit of a crisis to uh, get you to tell your story and um, some insights into how you really changed your mindset to accomplish so much in your life today. So let's start uh, kind of at the teenager spot and tell us about the uh, the accident in your life and some of that background and get the story started. Well, and thanks again, Rick. Um, yes, in a nutshell, my life was perfect as a little kid and Things can obviously change, and I was just a great athlete and had a girlfriend and all the stuff 14-year-olds are trying to figure out. And mm-hmm. I walked down the street, walked into my friend's house, into his mom and dad's bedroom, and I never walked out. He decided to get a, get a hold of his father's police gun. 
Thought he took all the bullets out three feet away, just very casually pointed that gun at my hip. No bad intentions. Yeah. And hold that trigger. So that moment changed my world. Wow. So where did you, where you know, did you go from there? The, I remember the story about, and we've had Mike come to our uh, some corporate meetings, and then I've heard him in the neighborhood and at church. So tell us about uh, being in the hospital and all that occurred there. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing that went from there was obviously just fear and survival. And then finally my mom showed up and figured this out and headed me to the hospital. And then I had to start to figure this out. I had to start to feel a lot of things and think about a lot of things and just was scared. I was unsure. I was nervous. I'd lost my identity. So it just put me into a place I didn't know. And I wasn't even sure that I had the tools to figure it out. But over time, I started to think differently. And I had great family and friends and uh, started to figure out what attitude is. I started to figure out what success is. And I I just kind of had to change and evolve, but I was normal, Rick. I had to go through all those emotions of anger and blame and eventually got to the point of figuring out that it was about me and trying to do this right. So that was kind of what I went through, uh, obviously, with a lot of help. Yeah, so one of those helpers, uh, your parents and family and friends, but I remember a story about your grandma and you're in the hospital and working through all the anger and blame. Tell us about the story about grandma. Oh, yeah. Well, Grandma, my dad's mom, okay. uh, showed up one day, and I I honestly don't think I had really smiled in a week or laughed. I was kind of trying to act fine when people would visit me, but inside I wasn't sure I was fine. And Grandma showed up and gave me a cherry Slurpee, and I decided to be my little humorous self. And I, uh, the nurse came in and checked my blood pressure. She, she stuck a thermometer in my mouth. She left the room. The nurse did, and I decided to stick that thermometer in that cherry Slurpee that I had not yet finished. And I kind of got excited about what this was going to mean, and it got colder and colder, and I heard the nurse coming down the hall. It was kind of late at night. Just before she walked back in the bedroom, I took that thermometer out of the cold Slurpee, put it back in my mouth. Now, they're keep keeping a close eye on me, my vital signs or whatnot. And that nurse walked in over the side of the bed, leaned over, pulled that thermometer out of her mouth. She looked at it. And she just kind of got nervous and hysterical. Why? Because the little thermometer said I was dead like 30 degrees ago. And I laughed. And that was kind of this internal. It's kind of went from being an external athlete, strong muscles, blah, 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 to having happiness inside of me, realizing I can still be happy regardless of where this ends up. So it was just one of those aha turning points that people have to have. Oh, that's awesome. So you eventually got back to school. You're in your wheelchair. And uh, if I remember right, now correct me if I'm that you've lost your girlfriend. So there's still all this change and you're watching people play athletics and you're not. And uh, you broke your arm. Kind of kind of bring that story back. It's in your book. I remember uh, about eight years ago, you gave Tanner, my youngest son, a uh, your book, Shot Happens. And uh, We've just re- kind of renewed it in preparation for this podcast. So tell us about that story. You broke your arm, and what did you learn from all that? Yeah, well, life was getting back to normal. I did have a new girlfriend. I was driving, okay. kind of starting to play a little bit of sports in my chair, and I'm actually at school. 
and I'm having an arm wrestler with a weightlifting coach. And sure enough, my friends are watching. I got to be cool. And we're doing our thing. And he's strong and I'm stubborn. And my right elbow just crumbled. <laughs> so here I am, no legs, broken arm. They pick me up, take me to the hospital. And once again, kind of going into this dark place. What am I going to do? One arm that works out of four limbs. And so this was a very uh, difficult time for me. But once again, I realized, and it's only a few years later, I started to realize, I started to kick back into that thinking mode of I'll be fine. I can figure this out. I'm a survivor. still have hope. You know, all the things. And it just turned into an amazing situation because they not only fixed my arm, Rick, but they flipped me over. They took that bullet, that 38 caliber piece of lead out of my vertebrae. And it was like they took out the past. They took out the anger. And I can say that was the moment for me that I let it go. Mm. I not only broke my arm, but I got the bullet out of my spine and I let it go. I like to say I got the lead out, so to speak. And then, and then it goes on and we can talk more if you need to. But I, I actually completely forgave my neighbor, my friend, my teammate that day. And, and that was another moment for me that just moved me to the next step. Yeah. Talk about that if you don't mind. You, I've heard you talk about your neighbor and friend that shot you and how you were able to let it go. Any more insights from that experience? Well, yeah. Um, he never did let it go. And these kinds mm. of things, these situations, whether it's what we're going through right now, with coronavirus or not, whatever, they affect people differently. Yeah. Well, for me, it affected me physically, but I was everyone's little darling. People would visit me, my friends, my family, and they were helping me. Well, my friend's in a dark place. He had just shot the student body president. Well, they moved away, their family. It was hard. He got involved in drugs, alcohol. He tried to rob a bank with a loaded gun. Hmm. So he went to prison for 25 years. And through it all, I'm trying to figure out how to reconnect with him. And I, in Salt Lake City, many years ago, probably 15 years ago, I ca- no, he called me. I knew his voice. He came to the restaurant. He walked in. And there was no anger, no blame. We hugged each other, and it was like a bridge had been built over those many years. And that was, for me, kind of like, hey, not only am I okay, but I now think he's okay. So all this puzzle was starting to fit back together over the course of a lifetime, which is how it is for, for any good person. Yeah. Wow, what a great story. I didn't know that part of the story. Okay, so... Uh, great examples and great moments of where you're able to let go of the past uh, and, and obviously forgiveness in there. So I've also heard you say this saying in some of the uh, corporate uh, speeches you've given, only when you feel the pain do you change and only when you change do you grow. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, we don't like change as human beings generally. Right. And a lot of times because we're looking out the front window. But a lot of times, months, years later, we're looking in the rearview mirror and we see what we've learned. But we hate change. If, if only, sometimes only when you are forced to change, whether it's a situation like mine where it was immediate change, whether it's a slow deterioration of a relationship that might end a divorce, it doesn't matter whether it's quick change or slow change. When you feel that pain, sometimes you are forced to change. And we resist it. One of my favorite sayings, if you resist change, you fail. If you accept change, you survive. If you create change, you succeed. So we've been forced into this. I was forced into this wheelchair. 
this world has been forced into this chaos right now, yeah. but it is an opportunity. It is change, and sometimes it's that pain that causes us to change, and it all depends on how we go through that change, in my opinion. So I'm not trying to get all luxury and too deep, but Please do. when we feel pain is when we change, and when we change is when we grow. Oh, I so love it's a that. beautiful thing if we can get it right. And you talk about that in your book, and obviously Stephen Covey and others, the old chance to, you know, you have a stimulus or you have an event in your life, and uh, you have, you can't control that coronavirus or someone shot you or these different events, but you have a choice in the middle of all this change uh, to change. And you've, you've set such a great example on many parts of your life, not just about being shot, but responding to change with positivity. Um, and did I remember this right? Also, gra Grandma, one of her sayings in the hospital was, uh, don't be a crappy shalappy, be a happy shalappy. Did I remember that part right? <laughs> yeah, it, my nickname as a kid was uh, Happy Shalappy. Okay. And as I was laying there and my girlfriend had just dumped me and all this stuff, um, I, I, I actually, it, it might have been my mom, but she knew that I was Happy Shalappy, but right then she knew that I was crappy Shalappy. And I'm not sure I liked that nickname quite as well, <laughs> but I also realized it's human to be down. It's okay to frown. Yeah. It's okay to have a bad day. I wouldn't want anybody that's listening to this podcast to ever, ever feel like Mike said they can't have a bad day. Right. Absolutely have a bad day, but don't let it turn into a bad month, a bad year, because then you hang your head. You think you're no good. You think you don't matter. You're awesome. Whoever's listening to this, you're awesome. And the way you think and the way we respond is really what's going to make all the difference. And if I can help through my experiences and what I've been through, that's really what gives me joy is trying to help others with what I've, I've been through. But I did, I did learn that I can be crappy shalappy. That's my mood. That's my mood. But I can also get myself positioned properly and be happy shalappy. And so you can be both. It, don't, don't beat yourself up if you're having a bad day once in a while. Oh, that is great advice. Great lecture on change. And uh, say amen to everything there. I'd be remiss if I didn't also talk about some of your accomplishments and four Olympics and four medals. And so kind of tell us your basketball journey a little bit and how you got into it and what you accomplished and, and uh, what you're doing now with Wheeling Jazz and stuff. So do you, do you mind telling that part of the story? Oh, no, I don't mind at all. You know, like every person in this world, a lot of times we look to people for mentors. For me, I had some wheelchair athletes drag me out and got me playing wheelchair basketball. And my first thought was, this will be stupid. <laughs> bunch of dudes in wheelchairs. I don't like, and all of a sudden, wow, competitive, good athlete, 10 foot hoop, three point line, have to dribble uniform. And so it got in my blood that I could still be the best in the world. I just have to do it a little differently. And so different isn't bad. It's just different. So all of a sudden I'm playing basketball from a wheelchair. My dad and I took some shots said, Mike, you can still be a great athlete. You're just going to have to do it differently. So I'm going through this thing, and I find out they have wheelchair basketball in the Olympic game. Hmm. And wow, I got that in my blood. I got invited to try out eventually. I made the team. What, you, what years great is this? guys, all kinds of different disabilities. Sorry, what's that? Go ahead. So I just, what kind of timeline? Are you like 18, 20, 22? What, what, when did you first really so get I'm, to make the team? I'm actually getting a master's degree in college at this okay. point. I'm about 25. Okay. 
And so I make this team with these great athletes, and we're traveling the world. My first Olympic Games was in Seoul, South Korea, 1988. Okay. And again, there's a lot of details here, the flights and the fun times in the airplanes and the being around these cool guys with cool stories who had amazing perspectives and attitudes, and we won a gold medal hmm. in 1988. And I remember the emotion on the medal stand, gold medal, national anthem, and I'm crying because I was reflecting on 10 years earlier, no laying in a hospital bed in Utah, wondering if I would ever play basketball again. So it had kind of come full circle. My dad had lost his star athlete. My dad was angry. And all of a sudden, my dad was there watching me get in a gold medal. So in sport, in the whole sports world of my life, it came full circle right then. Hmm. Okay, keep, keep talking. What, what other Olympics and what other stories around the Olympics? So 1992, Barcelona, Spain. Uh, I make the team again. Best wheelchair team, in my opinion, ever put together. And uh, we won another gold medal. Life's good. National anthem. On the way home, on the plane, the pilot calls our coach up. We were informed that one of my teammates had tested positive for drugs. We had to give our gold medals back individually, or we would never play wheelchair basketball again. And trust me, I had some anger, some of those same feelings that my friend just lost my gold medal. But I'd been through this before with my friend that shot me. I let it go. He's now my good friend. So I had a gold medal and kept it earned a gold medal and lost it. So those are the first two games. And then there's two more games after that. (laughs) Okay. Keep going. I I didn't know this. Keep going. Oh, oh, no. Okay. Yeah. No, I can talk about these sports. I love it. Um, So Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, 1996. So we're in our country. We're down there. We want to get a gold medal. And we got beat by Australia. Wow. And we were like devastated. We'd never lost. We didn't know how to respond to this. We're heading to the locker room. Coach is mad. Coach is yelling. I like to say coach was chucking wheelchairs. <laughs> and I was still in one of those wheelchairs. <laughs> but it was difficult. But but for the next four years, it motivated me. It kind of gave me that fire to reach that goal I'd set years earlier to be the first wheelchair basketball player to represent our great country in four consecutive games. Hmm. So I hung in there, and four years later, I'm getting older, got kids, working. I made the team one last time, and the games were in Sydney, Australia in 2000. And they had beat and you we're down there before. trying to get okay. our gold medal back. Okay. And I wish I could sit here and tell all your listeners we got our gold, the movie was perfect, but we ended up getting a bronze. But I'll tell you what, I've come to understand third place in a world of 7 billion people isn't too bad. Yeah. Come to understand that a bronze medal is okay. So we have two gold and we have two bronze. And I like to say we have no silver because those guys lose their last game. But that was our journey. It taught me so much. It fulfilled my life from a sports world. I've been full of gratitude for my teammates, for my coaches, for the great wheelchairs that people create that we can play the game in and just that I could... I could express my physical talents in sport like I was able to do before. I just had to do it with tires instead of gym shoes. So very grateful for the sport of wheelchair basketball. Oh, yeah. And, and talk about, so you, do you still play with the Wheeling Jazz? And tell us about that. Yeah, so in 1990, I, fo- I founded the Wheeling Jazz. What are we, 30 oh. years ago? Okay. Now I'm the coach. Oh. Guys pretty much 
off the court a few years ago and said, Mike, will you coach? And so I'm the head coach, and we love it, and we uh, travel. We went to our nationals this year, and it was condensed because of the virus. And we ended up sixth in the country. Uh, cool. Decent, like to win a national championship, but uh, the Dallas Mavericks won that. But anyway, I love the – Love the wheel and jazz, love the guys, love coaching the game, and uh, that's uh, part of what I do during the winter months mostly. Oh, okay. That's very cool. And uh, and I know you're, well, not right now in the middle of the virus, but you're also on the speaking circuit and you do a lot of corporate events. Um, do, you, do you want to share some of your contact info maybe? And I'll, I'll make sure and put it in the description as well, but tell us a little oh, bit about Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for thinking of me because this has definitely thrown my world into a yeah. <laughs> into a heat because they do not allow 500 people to get in a room very easily nowadays. So right. yes, um, I love it. Love getting on airplanes and sharing my story and helping people. Um, yeah, I find great joy in that. And uh, my website is mikeshalapi.com. Okay. Uh, people are absolutely okay to con- contact me directly. Um, my cell phone's 801-898-1218, and I would be honored if anybody needs me or my story to motivate or help your people. Um, that's what I specialize in. I love making, making people cry and laugh and feel and uh, give them hope. That's yeah. what I feel like my story does to people. Absolutely, and that's why we got you on right now, because we're, as a country and as a nation and as a world, we need a lot of hope, and uh, your your message is great there. So, Mike, why don't we uh, end there and talk about, give me your advice uh, for people going through this crisis right now, this pandemic around the world, and job loss and different things. People are reacting different ways, and there's still more hard things ahead. What Big picture, what advice do you have for people who are going through hard things and change in, your, in their lives? Yeah, I'll... I would encourage everybody to recognize that they are different and they will go through this different than their children or their spouse. And this is okay to fear, feel some of these feelings that we're all feeling. The dust is flying around in the air, but when it settles, we have an opportunity amongst all this stuff to have that dust settle in a little different and a little better place. So it's that moment, that month, that several months, whatever it is, to do some of those things that we've always wanted to do a little differently or maybe some things we've thought about, but we haven't been quite motivated enough to do them. So it is an opportunity amongst these obstacles to respond. I love the word responsibility. Mm -hmm. Responsibility isn't about fault and blame. You know, yeah, we could blame China. We could blame politicians. We could blame anybody about all this, but responsibility is the ability to respond that means I can respond to my problems, I can respond to Rick's problems, I can respond to Rick's listeners' problems. We all have the, that ability to respond, and this has just created a wonderful opportunity for all of us to learn about ourselves. And so just by doing the things we're talking about and trying to keep our mind in the right place and trying to keep hope and trying to share optimism, I just think it's a real, real cool opportunity to try to do some things that we might have wanted to do, but we did never get around to it. So I would just encourage people to maybe go write down three or four things that they want to do and just try to make it happen because I believe people can do it. Yeah. You are a believer in people and you're so, and I know uh, for the listeners, Mike, I'm his, I was been his neighbor for almost 20 years too. So I know he lives these principles and uh, Mike really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your perspective and uh, 
I think we'll get lots of positive feedback about your advice and counsel around opportunity and responsibility. So appreciate it, bud. Have a great day. Thank you, Rick. And thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Wasn't that amazing? Wasn't Mike great? What a great perspective on change and response and opportunity. Really appreciate him being on. Okay, final thoughts. Yes, we're in the middle of one of the worst pandemics and economic crisis of the last few decades. You didn't ask for this crisis and it was nothing you did wrong. But let's follow Mike's example and when pushed to the brink, take responsibility, set big goals, focus on daily small wins, you can do this. Seven ideas on how to survive and thrive this pandemic. Number one, follow CDC guidelines. Number two, accept full responsibility for your response to this situation. Number three, if you're still employed, add maximum value to your employer. Double down your effort and go all in. Number four, personal development. As Mike said, this is a great time. This is an opportunity to focus on your skills, abilities, and talents. This is the perfect time to take guitar lessons, work on your writing skills, take an online training course that you didn't have time to do before. Come out of this crisis faster and stronger. Set that as your model. Number five, connect while remaining physical, physically distancing. Remote connect. We are human beings and we still need to connect. Call your parents more than you used to. Call your family and friends. Call people at work and just ask how they're doing. Number six, do your, all, your positive fast start health habits every day to stay on top of this. Yoga, exercise, meditate, walking, serving others remotely, reading scripture and good books. Do whatever it takes to stay positive and on top during this crisis mode and it will bless your life and those people around you. Um, yoga with Adrian is something I've started here this last month on YouTube and I love it. It's not a big dancer yoga. It's just something that a normal person could do on meditation. A 10% happier app with Dan Harris is an amazing app with a whole bunch of 10 to 15 minute uh, slow down breathing exercises talking you through to reduce anxiety. I recommend them all. And then finally, number seven, do a personal and or corporate lessons learned exercise. This follows along with Mike's idea. We are usually too busy and on to the next problem to take time to properly learn. On episode 28 and 29, we did share some lessons learned tools and exercises that can help you both personally and corporately to take the time to really deeply learn so you can come out of this faster and stronger. Okay, that's the podcast for today. This has been another episode of Continuous Improvement for Life with Rick Hyland with RLG International. Please send me your comments about this podcast. Love your likes and comments either on iTunes or through Podbean or whatever service you use. Or as Mike mentioned, if you want to contact him directly, you can go to mikeshalapi.com or his direct phone number 801-898-1218 and I'll put that in the podcast description on Podbean as well. So until next time, Live a life of sustainable, continuous improvement. Goodbye.